You're listening to Tazzy Encounters on Faith FM, coming to you live from Tasmania, right across Australia. Each weekday at 9am, you can hear what the Bible says about past, current, and future events. Learn how to study the Bible more effectively, get to know who God is and why we're here and where we're going, and experience personal encounters with Jesus. I'm your host, David Leo, and today we have David Maxwell. Well, for, the, for today's show, we call it um, Leo and Max, because it's enough David's in the room for us. And he's joining us from Launceston for his series, The Significant Sevens of Revelation. Welcome, Max. Good to see you, Leo, or hear you anyway. Yes, Always likewise. Good to see you. I can see you sometimes, but our listeners can't. Yes, yes. Well, well, welcome and good to hear from you again. And uh, it's good to have you back with us this week. And each week before you get into your program, you've been sharing something significant with our listeners. So, so what do you have for us this uh, this this oh, I was going to say morning, but somebody could be listening later on. So they could be listening. Yeah, what to do you have for us today? Yes. So what I have today is uh, one of my most significant passages in the Bible. So it's really hard to find seven significant passages, but I found some. And ones that jump to mind are are these ones. So last week I shared John 5.22, and this week I would like to look at Philippians 2.5-11. I think this is quite a significant verse, and we'll unpack it a little bit later um, as we are looking through the program. So let me read from the New King James, uh, Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, Mm. of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I find this a really fascinating passage for a number of reasons. Firstly, it really speaks in quite simple terms the deepest of the deepest kind of humility possible. You just think about it, Dave, um, or Leo, sorry. <laughs> you just think about it. The God who created everything we see, everything we see, he's far above it, he's more powerful than any of it, far greater than any single part of it. He decides for our good, for our good, to put aside all of that, everything that he is, who he is, and the power that he has, and he comes here and becomes one of us. Mm. Now, that would be humiliating enough just on its own. But he allows himself to be humiliated to the lowest possible level of humanity. Um, there's nothing possible that could be lower than what he did, becoming a servant and taking the beatings of his very own creation, putting him on a cross, treating him so cruelly and harshly. He takes then all of our sin on him, all that guilt, and he pays for it for himself. All, all just so that we would be able to be with him again one day. Now, That just really blows me away when I think about the power of what he actually does. So then when I look at verse 10 and 11, 
to me, every name in heaven, above, earth, beneath, uh, or on the earth and under the earth, those who have died, something has to happen for them to be able to do that. We'll look at that later. Uh, that that they confess, they fall on their knees and confess that Jesus Christ is their Lord, it, it seems like it's just the natural result of coming to this understanding of just how big a deal that was actually for Jesus to do that. Mm. So during the, so that's why I love that, those verses. During the program today, I'm going to outline where I believe this actually happens in Earth's history, uh, because it hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. And we'll see that soon. So I feel this passage is a really good lead-in <clears throat> for today's program entitled 7,000 Years, which speaks about a time when God's justice will be recognised by all the world, um, and that's when the knees will bow, and then he needs to meter out his justice in different ways. Yeah, yeah, that's a, this is a significant topic because if there's a question that believers and non-believers ask is, how can God be a fair God if... You know, you finish the sentence. You know, that's a, that's a huge thing. So what you're going to get into is going to give us a really good insight into looking yeah. at a God that is fair and just, which is yeah. going to be exciting. And everyone loves his fairness, but they don't like his justice sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. None of us right. do. But we've got to, you know, like when we love Jesus, we love all of Jesus, not just mm. not mm. just some, some of him. And if you yeah. want to hear some of the episodes from the um, that David has gone through with the Significant Sevens, you can go on the Faith FM app that you can download from the App Store. Or you can go to Faith FM website, which is faithfm.com.au, and listen to previous episodes from there. Also, if you haven't stored this number, this phone number to your phone, please do so now, 0488-880-891. We will have a free book offer. Also, if you have any feedback or questions, and we're going to ask you a question as well, if um, give some feedback on that later in the program. So keep that phone number in your phone, 0488-880-891. But uh, as David, uh, as Max has mentioned, uh, this week, then today, we're looking at the significant sevens of Revelation, and in particular, the seven thousand years. Mm, mm. Yeah. So, just a quick recap: in the first week, we looked at the seven churches of Revelation. Now, like I said, there's this is not all the sevens in Revelation. Don't you know? Ring up and say, "Hey, David, got it wrong." There's lots <laughs> more sevens. One. There's seven angels, seven candlesticks, seven stars. There's uh, yeah, okay, I understand. There's those things, but. I'm looking at a quick overview of Revelation, and it is quick. It takes a lot of time to put it together, but it's quick. And uh, it, it is looking at the significant sevens throughout the book of Revelation, and these are really significant. So we've looked at the seven churches of Revelation. Um, we've looked at the seven seals. We've looked at the seven trumpets. We've looked at sig- seven significant signs. We've looked last week at the seven bowls, and they were really sad because they talk about the judgment of God against those who've completely uh, made up their minds to oppose him, just like Pharaoh. So today, 7,000 years, I want to look at the significant sevens of Revelation in this particular title, the 7,000 years, and uh, as I'm looking at this passage, um, what we're going to find is a, a topic in well, as we unpack it anyway, we're going to look at the final one of the seven 1,000-year uh, periods. This final 1,000-year period is mentioned in Revelation and is called by some the millennium. Now, you've probably heard of that. But uh, before, the, before we go to a break today, I want to just ask a very different question as we look at it. So the very different question we're going to look at today is, have you 
um, uh, what does anyone have any questions on any of the sevens we've covered so far? Mm. So any of the sevens we've covered so far, and that is, as I said, the seven churches. You might say, well, how's that relevant to us today? Uh, the seven seals. Now, remind me again what the seven seals were, or um, I don't understand the third one or the fourth one, or you know, text in a question about that. The trumpets. Um, tell me about the trumpets again. My wife always wanted to know about the trumpets, and I said, "Well, listen to this program, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and it'll give us a bit of a pointer." Uh, the seven signs. How do they fit in? What are these signs and? Uh, I, I can't remember what they are. Of course, you can go back and listen to them, but if even listening to them, you, you don't get what it's talking about, text us in a question about, oh, can you tell me more about that? The seven bowls, and that was the one we did last week. Yeah. So please text in your questions on that you might have from what we've presented so far, and today we're going to look at why we believe we're about... 6,000 years from creation, and uh, what are the events surrounding the next 1,000-year period we're about to enter, and why that's all so important. Oh, wow. So, so it's, it's going to be a big program today. Yeah, <clears throat> I suppose um, I've heard the, the, the comment, the young earth theory, so 6,000 years, so you want to get into the um, debate between the young creationists and the evolution and things like that? No, not going to do that. <laughs> we, not going to do that. No, we're going to we're going to stay on the topic of um, the justice justice of Jesus. You know, it's always a always a tough one. Um, yeah, people often say when things happen in the world, why didn't God do anything about this? And yeah, then yeah. Uh, you know, when somebody else is asking, why has God done something about this? Mm. <laughs> why, know, so. why hasn't he done something about it? Yeah, yeah it's always, a, always, yeah, two, right. the, always the two questions, you know. Um, mm. there, there's so many things that happen around the world, and, and they, they call on God to do something, but mm. forget about God the very next day. But, yeah, uh, my mum used to say that, mm. uh, Leo. He, she used to say there's so much prayer that happens. So she's in Queensland, Toowoomba, uh, and she used to say there's so much prayer that happens for droughts. So when there's a drought, everyone's praying. Yeah. And then when the break droughts, we forget the, the, about the it. The drought breaks. No one goes and thanks God for it. That's right. You don't have a praise, so she don't have all the man. So she used to say that a lot. <laughs> and when we when we talk about things like we're going to talk about today, we we see God's justice, and we try and remember it every day because we know how, mm. how how good God is, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, let's, uh, let's let's have that question again. If anyone uh, has any questions about the previous episodes on the significant sevens, then you can uh, text it in. Text in the question on zero four double eight double eight zero. Eight nine one, and we've got our our good morning text from Ed. Good morning to you, Ed. This is good morning to Leo and Max from Ed Clarkson SD Fellowship. And this is uh, Minister Otto. Here he comes. Here he comes, riding on a white horse to pull me out from the midst of my enemy, my faithful one. Here he comes to vanquish his enemies. Fighting with a fierce love, a love stronger than death, my true unsought. In the stillness of night, gentle and quiet, his voice assured me again. Child, I'm not finished yet, let your heart rest, I won't let you slip 
Listening to Tez Encounters on Faith FM, and we are talking to Max or Pastor Devin Maxwell on the topic of seven thousand years. And the question we had before the break was: Does anyone have any questions from the previous seven significant sevens that Pastor Max has covered so far? So text us in on zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. Or if you have any questions, then let us know as well. So we're continuing your series, The Significant Sevens of Revelation, with today's topic, 7,000 years. And before the break, you said that uh, you're going to look at the last of these significant sevens, well, the last 1,000 years of the significant mm. sevens of Revelation, and it involves um, how we are now about 6,000 years from creation. We're not entering to the creation evolution debate, but we're just, you know, we're that, that many years, 6,000 years from creation, and we're about to enter a, the, the the last one of the seven. Um, so, mm, mm. so why are we not talking about the debate then? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I don't really want to get into the evolution versus creation debate. There are a lot more skilled people than me who uh-huh. can get into that, right? But I, I all I want to do is today share what the Bible says and perhaps a little bit out a bit bit of outside commentary on it. Um, because I believe the Bible stands on its own. Uh, we've already seen in Amen. another program that we can trust the Bible, so that's what I want to use. So first I'm going to pray for our listeners, and then I'll get you to read the passage that we're going to be looking at today in the New Living Translation. So let me pray for our okay. listeners. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can open your word today. Thank you we can talk to people on the radio about it. And so, Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to our listeners today and give us the right words to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation. So, Leo, could you read Revelation 24 20? to 7? Okay. Revelation Thanks. 24 to 7 from the New Living Translation says this. Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. 
they had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. Thanks a lot, Leo. You know, I I love this passage too because many people say when you die, go straight to heaven or you go straight somewhere else. Now, this passage reinforces what we've looked at before because it says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, right? Yep. And they came to life again. So that means they weren't alive when John saw this. They came to life. So the souls were dead. They were dead souls. Right. Isn't that interesting? Yes. You know, and they came to life and they reigned with him for a thousand years. And then it talks about that reigning for a thousand years. They live and reign. The second death holds no power. They become eternal. You know, they live with Christ. An amazing passage, an amazing passage. So you find as you read through the Bible, you have these obscure references to other topics that you've studied and they reinforce what you learn. Mm -hmm. So let me start with an opening illustration. I call it Four Versions, One Story. Some people question the Bible because when they look first at the four first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they say that uh, although it's believed and stated they're recording the same life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they differ in their details. And so people argue about it. They say, well, we can't really trust the Bible because... Um, you know, all the four people who were right there, um, or three of those that were right there, <coughs> um, living with him couldn't even get the story right. But a simple explanation for this is that the four were actually writing to a different audience, but we're not going to unpack that too much today because, you know, they highlighted different things about Jesus' life because they're re- writing to a different audience, right. a Greek audience or a Jewish audience. Uh, writing to a Greek audience, you've got to explain some of the terminology of the, the Jews, you know, so he writes differently. That's that's beside the point. One common theme is there was a man called Jesus who lived, died, and rose again, and other sources confirm this as well. So when we look at a particular event in Earth's history which some have questioned, like the Great Flood, for example, of Noah's day, one question stands out. Why, if it didn't really happen, do so many cultures have an ancient flood story right. if it never happened? I mean, surely it would only be the Christian um, one that has a flood story if it was a Christian and thing. And this is but all before internet. Yeah, it's in the Mesopotamian, Sumerian history, and all of these other near and ancient eastern um, cultures, they all have this ancient flood story. In in Michael Westacott and John Ashton's edited compilation of contributions from 24 scholars, and the book is entitled The Big Argument, one of those scholars, Jerry Bergman, reports that the flood stories are found in nearly every culture mm. and that these stories include a variant of the biblical flood story. Again, rather than going and debating, uh, you know, the the flood story of the Mesopotamian era or something and pointing out where it's all different, um, I find it telling that they all recount a flood story in some way. 
To me, it's logical to conclude there was actually a cosmic, a, a cataclysmic flood. Yeah. And that helps solidify the biblical account in my name, well, in, in my mind. I hear what you're saying. You know, if, if lots of people across the world are talking about a similar subject, then there's yeah. got to be some type of weight to, to the subject. Yeah, some merit that it's like, man, if, if everyone's talking about it and they're not mm. connected in any certain way, then there must be something significant about this ancient um, story or person Correct. or what, whatnot. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so that gives me some solidity, um, solidity to my thinking about, well, I've seen that the Bible is accurate, and now that actually helps to reinforce it. You remember right. I said before, when you're reading the Bible itself, you find oh, obscure itself. references to things that you've studied really clear, clearly, and you right. go, hey, that reinforces what I know. Uh-huh. Same sort of thing. Awesome. So... Uh, t- the same can be said for the biblical creation event. So each of these cultures have a, a, a different, some wildly different creation story from the biblical account. Now, as I said before, I'm not going to debate the stories, but I'm just going to look at the one we've already established as true. This is the one in the Bible. And if this account is the most accurate, well, let's just refer to that. I think that's fair. So when you're looking at the timing, the 6,000 years, why, why do I think we're at about 6,000 years? It's actually quite easy to determine how far from creation the flood event occurred. Now, I'm not sure if I'm going to have time to read these passages, but let me just read this one because it sort of summarizes where I'm going with the other ones that I read. In Genesis chapter 5, and I'm going to read 1 to 5. I'm reading from the New King James. It says, This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the, in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female. He blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years. He begot a son in his own likeness after his image. He named him Seth. So you notice that Cain and Abel aren't mentioned here. Hmm. He named himself Seth. The days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters, so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Now, this is really easy to work out a timeline by just writing all those numbers and names down, and I've done that. And uh, it repeats through the rest of the chapter the same process. It's just a mathematical calculation to work out how long it was from the day that God created man down to the flood of Noah's day. So it's pretty simple. The great flood of Genesis occurred in Noah's day in 1656 from the day Adam and Eve were created. Following the flood, we have a number of other things that help us count the time from the flood to Jesus, the pivot of our history. So we have BCAD. Um, BCAD, before Christ, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. So that's before Christ and um, after he, he lived. So firstly, there's an unbroken genealogy of Shem, Noah's son in Genesis 11. I don't have time to read that, but go and read Genesis 11 and you'll see the genealogy of Shem. <clears throat> and that goes beyond the flood and it goes right through to the time of Joseph. Calculating Abraham's age, the birth of Isaac, uh, time down through their direct lineage of Jacob, Joseph, their time in Egypt, um, the time, the 430 years that 
what they all live in Egypt, um, when they come out, the exodus, um, their time in the wilderness, the time in Canaan, the judges, the kings, their capture and sojourn in Babylon, and their release from Babylon, return to Jerusalem, brings us down to 457 BC. 450 years, 453 years before the birth of Christ, okay? And that falls in 4 BC. Now, that's confusing. Go and Google it, and you'll see why uh, it's 4 BC and not 0 or 1. (laughs) So calculating up to the birth of Christ then accounts for the remaining 2,350 years from the time of the flood to Christ making it about 4,000 years from creation. So it's pretty obvious then that from the time of Jesus to our day today, there's been about 2,000 years. Now, I'm rounding these numbers, sure. but they're, you know, they're, they're pretty accurate. So making it just a total of 6,000 years from creation to today, does that, I went through that pretty fast, but did that make sense to you, Leo? Yeah, I hear, I, you basically just did the calculations from creation to Noah, yep. Noah to the time of uh, Jesus. Jesus, and then from Jesus, Jesus to us, to and us that today. kind of yeah, that kind of accumulates to around six thousand years. Six thousand so years, s- yeah. And some people say that hey, they had different year spans. They they counted life differently before the flood. Now, you could agree with that, except when it comes to straight after the flood, they still living those long years. But you watch as their their ages when they die rapidly decreases. And their lifespan rapidly That's true. decreases. You can see that, yeah. You know, so you go from, you know, the 900 years, the seven, eight hundred years before the flood to Shem only having, you know, 600 years. And then you've got 400 and then it goes down to 200 and then it settles around about 120. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to what we're going to talk about after the break. Mm. And we come back and uh, remember, we've got a free book offer later on. So we have this number ready. Zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. Um, to, to stay in touch for our uh, free book offer, which is called "End Time Hope: A Journey to Eternity" by Mark Finley. And the listener question: If you have any questions about any of the episodes that David covered in the past, then text it through. Dave will be more than happy to to uh, answer them. The next song is called "Heaven's Bright Shore" by Alison Krauss. Resting in here. 
white wing. I'll see that homecoming in a ray. How great it must be for angels to see a pilgrim reach home on heaven's bright shores. This program is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. You're listening to Tez Encounters on Faith FM with Pastor David Maxwell on his series, The Significant Sevens of Revelation. And David has been talking about the topic of the 7,000 years. And just before the break, uh, Max, you were saying that um, we, we, uh, you're implying that we may be entering into the, the seventh thousand period year uh, is that correct yeah 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 that's right so i was saying that we've covered six thousand years in history so clearly the next one would be the seven thousand year wouldn't it yeah wow so so um very very interesting so i covered before the break uh from the bible record and from a calculation of its written history we can see that we're only about six thousand years out from creation the signs jesus said that would precede his coming are being f- quickly fulfilled. And it would appear that this next thousand years, making up the sixth significant seven of Revelation, is about to begin. Okay, so I'm talking about this is the seven significant things in Revelation. Okay, all the significant right. sevens of Revelation and this thousand year and the, and the events surrounding it make up the sixth significant seven. But it's going to be the seventh thousand year of Earth's history, created history, you know, with people living there. And in Revelation 19 and 20, we see one of the most impactful events of Revelation, and that's the final destruction of evil. Um, in the five... In the five sevens we've looked at so far, the churches, the seals, the trumpets, the signs, the bowls, um, all of their events in those um, things that we've looked at, those sevens that we've looked at, the, the events culminate in one thing. They, they are leading up to one thing in, in Revelation, and that's Jesus' soon return. In Revelation 19, Jesus is described as a rider on a white horse. Uh, I'd like to read that briefly for you. So Revelation chapter 19. I didn't mark it and I'm turning. Apologize for the flipping pages. (laughs) Revelation 19 and verse 11 to 13. Let me just read that. 
It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he makes, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire on his head. He has many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. Now, we've got to remember that John the Beloved, Jesus' really, really close disciple, is here writing this. And in both his Gospels and his letters, his Gospel and his letters, uh, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, he refers to Jesus repeatedly as the Word of God. So clearly, this is a reference to Jesus, Jesus coming on a white horse. Now, we've seen a white horse before. And that was uh, in some of the um, <clears throat> in the seals when the first seal was open. And anyway, this white horse talks about victory, and it's Jesus coming in victory. What follows then is a great feast. There's two feasts that happen, and there's the great feast of God. Now, in the preamble to this passage in uh, Revelation 19 and verse 9, <clears throat> we actually see that this, oh, pardon me, we see that there's an announcement of this great marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, if you understand the culture of the day when John is writing, once the groom has been betrothed to his bride, he re- he leaves his bride and he they're just being betrothed. He goes back to his father's house to make appropriate preparations and then he, when everything's ready, uh, he comes back. When the father says, yep, everything's ready, uh, he, he goes back and he gets the, uh, the bride, marries her and brings her back. Um, so clearly here, Jesus is referring to this kind of analogy to John as he's writing. And, and that really makes sense because John understands what he's writing. We we have to actually do a bit of history research mm. to understand that. Mm-hmm. But clearly here, Jesus is the groom. He's gone to prepare a place for you, as he says in John 14, 1 to 3. Uh, we are the bride, his true church, if we're following him faithfully. And soon at the Father's direction, he comes, he's going to come, and he's going to take us home for that feast together. So that's the very first thing we do when we get back to heaven. Um, and, and the Old Testament has um, a particular feast that points to that. That points to that, and and that's really fascinating. We haven't got time to describe that today. However, Jesus told a number of parables about this. He told a number of parables about this, and it shows that not everyone he calls want to come, and that's really sad, but it's true. They're not Mm. ready or they're not willing to come. And then this introduces a second feast uh, in Revelation 19, 17 to 18. I'd really hesitate to read it but it's it's a fact i just need to read it then i saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven come together come and gather together for the supper of the great god that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them in the flesh of all the people free and slave both great and small that's a terrible macabre feast really is Kind of but reminds me is, of uh, Dan and the Lions then. Yeah. yeah. The Lions going in for a feast. <laughs> yeah, that's, and it's really, really sad mm, that people sure would say, I don't want anything to do with God. I'm happy to be a part of this. <sighs> I, don't, I don't want to be there, you know. Um, 
But this fe- this feast actually takes place. It, it begins here on Earth before before the wedding feast. Now, mm-hmm. It'll probably be going on for a while, but nevertheless, the angels call the birds to come to be ready for this. F- inverted commas, feast. Mm-hmm. And it, it just appears to be the sad reality of what happens when Jesus returned. Those who've rejected him are, as it says in Second Thessalonians 2, eight, they're consumed by the breath of his mouth and destroyed by the brightness of his coming. Um, and that's described just previously here in Revelation as being struck by the sharp sword that, pre- that proceeds out of Jesus' mouth. Now, that's not a big sword sticking out of his mouth. That's the brightness of his coming, the, the breath, his, his call, his trumpet, you know. Um, as he arrives, those who don't have his protection are consumed by his holiness, the holiness of God. Then we have this uh, Battle of Armageddon. This is a great gathering outlined in order in Revelation 19, 19 to 21. It's referred also to in Revelation 16, 13 to 16 as the Battle of Armageddon. If you read that passage, Revelation 16, 13 to 16, you'll see how that is speaking about the same thing. But here, it's not, uh, it's not a fight of the world's powers against Israel, but instead it's a battle about between good and evil and uh, Jesus is giving those who want nothing to do with him what they desire. They want to be separated from him and he and his life, and he allows them to have that. I can't dig into enough in all of this, and next year we're going to unpack all of these a lot deeper, so be patient, please. <laughs> then there's the dragon restraint. Um, we have this thousand years of peace, and in Revelation chapter uh, 20 and verse 1 to 3. I need to read that. Then I saw an angel uh, coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no longer until the thousand years were finished. But after this, he'll be released for a little while. So there's the first mention of the thousand years. And as it reads on in Revelation, you'll see that this is called the beginning of the first thousand years. The resurrection that happens is called the resurrection of life. Jesus himself in John 5.29 calls that the resurrection of life. And then there's a thousand years of reigning with Christ. And we read that earlier, how they will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. That's after the wedding supper. As soon as we get to heaven, there's a wedding supper. And I'm looking forward to that, Dave. I don't know about you, but I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it. Yep. And following that, there's work to do. In Revelation 20 and verse 4, it says, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. As we look through the Bible, we see in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, that we will judge angels. Here is where we judge angels. And then there's a final judgment. And that final judgment comes to what I was talking about in Philippians, where every knee will bow. In Revelation 27 and 8, at the end of the thousand years, it says, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and he'll go out to deceive the nations. Now, the only nations that um, that he can deceive are the ones mentioned here. They are in the four corners of the earth. If they're in the four corners of the earth, they're in the dust, and they need to be resurrected. And that's what Jesus calls the resurrection of damnation. Mm. And 
I believe this is where it comes to play, where every knee will bow. God is going to show, and it expands it in Revelation 20. Um, John sees another vision of this particular judgment that fits right in here. And it's where everyone acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. Mm. And as Jesus is Lord, and they acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, every knee bows. And then... God has to enter the final phase where he has a strange act. Now, I'm out of time for this break. We need to go to a break. And when we come back, I'm just going to explain God's strange act. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, the the book on offer uh, is End Time Hope, A Journey to Eternity by Mark Finley. Terrorist threats, school violence, devastating tornadoes, a shaky economy, the rising nuclear threat in Iran and North Korea. It's enough to frighten anybody unless you understand what's behind today's headlines. The book provides answers to the confusing dilemma this world is facing. You will experience hope as you read each chapter. As you explore what the Bible says about what is really going on in our world, you will discover answers that will satisfy your head and speak to your heart. There is some incredibly good news in the book by Mark Finley. Uh, the code after the break right now goodness is stronger than evil by Flugel. goodness is stronger than evil love is stronger than hate light is stronger than darkness life is stronger than death Goodness is stronger than evil, love is stronger than hate, light is stronger than darkness, life is stronger than death. Victory is ours, victory is ours, through Him who loved us. Victory is ours. Victory is ours through Him who loved us. Goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. Light is stronger than darkness. Is stronger than death. Victory is ours, victory is ours through him who loved us. Victory is ours, victory is ours through him who loved us. Goodness is stronger than he. Stronger than death, victory is ours. Victory is ours. You're listening to Taz Encounters on Faith FM, and we're talking with Pastor David Maxwell or Max on the topic of seven thousand years. 
I promise the code to claim our free offer, book offer today. And there's plenty of copies to give away. So don't hesitate to, to claim a copy today. It's called End Time Hope, A Journey to Eternity by Mark Finley. And uh, the code is Revelation 6, all in one word. The word Revelation and the alphanumeric 6. So Revelation 6 to 0488880891. Text in that code and you can claim a copy of End Time Hope. Now, David, just before the break, you're going through these uh, numerous events that are going to happen in the in that that last seventh of the seven thousand years, and uh, you were going to talk about the strange act. Can you tell us more about that, please? Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Leo. So we talked about the word on a horse. We talked about the uh, two feasts. We talked about the Battle of Armageddon. Well, I talked about. <laughs> we talked about the dragon who got restrained, the reigning with Christ those thousand years, and then a final judgment at the end of that thousand years. Mm. The end of that thousand years, meaning a total of 7,000 years for this earth's history. And then the executive phase of judgment must take place. And this executive phase of judgment where God does a strange act, as it's called in um, Isaiah 28, 21 to 22, his strange or foreign or unusual act where he has to destroy the very beings that he created. And that's got to be tough. And yeah. here it's mentioned in Revelation 20 and verse 9. But just before that, the, the those who have not gone to heaven with him, those who've been left here on earth, who didn't accept Jesus and want to be separate from his life, they are resurrected for this final viewing, if you like, for this final acknowledgement that God has been fair Mm -hmm. And they acknowledge that God has been fair. And then in Philippians 2, that's where I believe this fits, where every knee bows. Those in the city have had time in heaven to examine the records for those thousand years and see why people aren't there, why some might be there. Yeah. <laughs> they might be there and think, well, how did I get here? That's right. You know, we look at the records and we say, oh, God is so fair. You know, I never knew Jesus, but but I, I've obviously been following his his impressions and here I am. Um, and we'll be seeing, well, why is so-and-so not here? And mm. we'll say, oh, yes. I lived a double life. I didn't know that. Mm. God, look how hard God worked to save that person and right. they're not here. So God is just. So we all kneel. The angels already follow God and they kneel at, uh, towards Jesus and then those outside this holy city that has come down ready to l stay here and live here, those outside the city being resurrected they, they acknowledge the righteousness of God, but then Satan tempts them again. One more time. They died uh, following him. They rise no different. Their characters haven't changed. In verse 9 it says, Then they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And that is the end of sin. You know, that's the end of of rebellion. There's there's no more rebellion. So what can we learn from these uh, the application of this the seven thousand years, mm. you know, that the the last of these significant sevens? One of the most important things we can learn is that time's nearly up. You know, we're almost at the end. Now we can debate, you know, it was 
yeah, it's 2027, you know, from time of Jesus' baptism, or we can say it's 2030, whatever, you know, from the gospel going to the Gentiles, the end of one prophecy. We can debate all the dates that we want, but Jesus says we aren't going to get it right. (laughs) So we can forget about that. But there is something I want to read. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gives a sign in Matthew um, that I think we shouldn't miss. And some people have missed. Sorry, I'm flicking again. Um, but it's Matthew chapter 24. And some of you will, well, at least you know I've got the Bible open. That's good. Amen. <laughs> Jesus gives all these signs. And at the end, uh, so he gives a, 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 a very general and a specific warning. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 32, he says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch Branches become tender and puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is near. Okay, so you see the signs leading up to summer. Summer's not here, but it's near. So also when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. And then he says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And yet we read and we understand that all those who were listening have died. And we think, hang on a minute. God doesn't lie. Jesus doesn't lie. But when you reread it, you see he's not talking about the generation that is present in his day. He's talking about the generation that sees all these things. Now, my parents didn't see all these things. TV came in when I was young. It became a popular thing when I was young. You know, it was, uh, you could hear about them. You could, you could hear all of these things happening. We know all these things were happening now, but we didn't see them. But when we see the generation that sees all these things will by no means pass away till all these things take place. And as I see that, that particular sign, that tells me that we are in these days. My generation, you know, I, I, won't, I won't make it to 100, I'm sure. I mean, I've got health issues, you know. I suspect I'm not going to get there. You might get there, and I'm, I'm not going to get there. But, but when I look at this generation, some in this generation have to see Jesus come. That's, that's people in my age living now or our children, they're going to see Jesus come. That gives us 50 years at the most. At the outside, I suspect it's not going to be that long. That's why I say this This is really, really important for us to know. It also, uh, we can learn about true and false worship. You know, we, mm. can, we can learn that mm. it's clearly detailed. Many, many programs have detailed this from Faith FM, and it's vitally important for your eternal future that you decide today. Today, before time runs out, either you individually or for our generation, which worship you want to be a part of, true worship or false worship. And then we see the mercy and the justice are both parts of God's character. Yeah, that's so important. You know, uh, yes, God's merciful. And I haven't got time to explain how he's (laughs) merciful. Even to those who are left on the earth, he won't. They don't want anything to do with God, but he won't just take his people and go and leave them to Satan's um, you know, devices, ways, devices. Yeah. He says, "No, you'll sleep until I come back." So all of this shows me that there was a man named Jesus who came and lived and died. 
there was a man named Jesus, and that Jesus is the one who is soon returning for each one of us. Which group do you want to be in? Do you want mm-hmm. to be in the first thousand, the, 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 the first resurrection, the beginning of the thousand, or do you want to be in the last group at the end of the thousand, which are removed from his presence? If you want to be in the first group, those who will join in the wedding supper of the Lamb, please get in touch so we can assist you with a bit more information. Wow. Amen. Uh, just want to uh, you know, echo that, how important it is the time that we're living in. And uh, time time is short you know, to make those decisions. And, mm. you know, if you want to, and I really encourage you to study more as, as David has talked about this, go into the book of Revelation, have a read of 19, 20, 21 as he's gone through, and then also mm. claim this book, End Time Hope, A Journey to Eternity by Mark Finley. Uh, uh, the offer is uh, the code is Revelation six. Text it to zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. Revelation six, all in one word. The word Revelation, the alphanumeric number six. Text it through, and you can claim this offer next week. We'll look at the significant sevens of Revelation again, and mm. the perfect seven restored. As yeah, can I just say something about that? Sure, go ahead, Leo. So as we as we go through that, we discover the hidden secret of all these sevens, and we summarize what we've overviewed these past weeks. We get to see what have we learned about Jesus, because this is the revelation of Jesus Christ through these significant sevens. That's what I want to unpack. Don't miss next week. All right, thanks for sharing that with us, Max. That's uh, that's that's really important. And uh, also next week, I'm back on um, with Jason. Uh, on Wednesday, we will go to the live show. We're going to talk about the practicalities of prayer when it comes to worship at home. That's something we're going through, worship at home, and, and encouraging us to do that with our walk with Jesus Christ. And so the song that we're uh, going into next, it's called We've Got This Hope. I've Got This mm. Hope. Max has got this hope. I pray you've got this mm. hope too. And it's by Ellie Holcomb. And as you listen... I, I, I pray earnestly that uh, this will be a choice that you make. And as you go through the day, may your mind think of these great things that God wants to do and how Jesus is coming soon. Amen. We've got this hope. We've got a future. We've got the power of the resurrection living within this hope we've got a promise that we are held up and protected in the palm of his hand and even when our hearts are breaking